Greetings, friends. Blaine the Brain here, and this is the Royal Ramble Podcast. I'm back at it again for yet another week, but before we begin, I have a brief programming note here. A reminder that the show will be taking a brief hiatus next week, as I will be taking a much-needed vacation. But I will make my hopefully triumphant return the following week to preview the Impact Anniversary show, Slammiversary. What a show that's going to be, am I right? And there are a few good ones coming up, actually, including the Forbidden Door event coming up at the end of the month. And then we'll be kicking off next month with the WWE Premium Live event, Money in the Bank. But before we even get there, we have a couple of stops along the way, including the NXT In Your House and WWE Hell in a Cell events that wrapped up this weekend. So I'll be reviewing both of those in this episode. For now, I want to focus a bit on AEW because there were some major happenings that occurred in their world over the last week. After it was reported that MJF was extremely unhappy with his rate of pay as a top-level performer in the company, word got out that he had booked a flight out of Vegas before Double or Nothing hit the air, and thus would miss that event. I'm not sure exactly what happened there or what led to him fulfilling his contractual obligation and working his scheduled match, but there was a ton of speculation surrounding that very incident where many fans, myself included, were convinced that this was in fact real while others were quick to dismiss it as a work. I'll tell you that if it was a work, it may have been the greatest one of all time. He totally had me convinced. But then he goes out on Dynamite the following Wednesday and delivers his own version of a pipe bomb promo. I mean, this wasn't even just a pipe bomb, it was an A-bomb. Because I think it totally blew Punk's 2011 promo out of the water. Although given the limitations of Punk's approved promo content versus MJF's, I'd still consider both to fall within the same category of controversy. It was a little more clear that this was indeed a worked shoot, but given what happened previously, which I'm still unsure of, it worked very effectively and still had people questioning whether this is real or not. I was a little surprised when he dropped that F-bomb on live television. I think he got a little carried away. It kind of reminded me of Owen Hart randomly throwing out an F-word during a pay-per-view promo back in the day. It had that same level of intensity with varying degrees of awkwardness. But it at least got people talking and made them curious to see what's going to happen next. What isn't going to happen next, however, is CM Punk defending his AEW world title that he just won last Sunday. After a grueling battle with Hangman Page at Double or Nothing and a follow-up six-man on Dynamite, Punk announced on Rampage Friday night that he had sustained an injury and thus will be taking an indefinite period of time off to recuperate, meaning that an interim champion will be crowned at Forbidden Door. Look, I'm not a fan of interim titles or champions, but I can kind of understand AEW's predicament here, and I at least hope that someone from New Japan ends up winning the belt, or even MJF, who seemed white-hot after that promo last week. So either way it goes, it furthers a storyline. We'll have to wait and see how this all plays out. But now let's talk about what just happened, and that's NXT In Your House, an event that has been spectacular for the last couple of years, but this is the first one under the 2.0 structure. Did it deliver? Well, let's take a look. We're starting things off with faction action as Legado del Fantasma, headed up by Santos Escobar, takes on the team led by Tony D'Angelo, now I believe just known as the Family. Electra actually points out to the referee before the match starts that there is a crowbar hidden between the ring steps and the post. Basically, the losing team here has to join the winning team with one main figurehead, which will either be D'Angelo or Escobar. This was a very well-paced match, and the action picked up in the latter stages with lots of high risk. 
After a double clothesline spot between Escobar and D'Angelo, Lopez reaches in and hands Escobar a pair of brass knucks. Before he can use it though, D'Angelo swings the crowbar at Wilde, who intercepts it and levels stacks with it. But then D'Angelo knocks down Escobar and grabs possession of the brass knuckles to KO Wilde, and then two dimes just pushes stacks out of the corner and right onto the cover on Wilde for the win. And Escobar's facial reaction was priceless here, he sold it tremendously. There was a segment backstage involving some of the women from the NXT breakout tournament. I have to admit, I stopped paying attention as soon as Lash Legend started talking, but it wasn't really anything that important. This leads into the next match for the NXT Women's Tag Team titles featuring Caden Carter and Katana Chance, the former Casey Cananzaro, challenging Toxic Attraction, represented by Gigi Dolan and JC Jane. I did like and appreciate the color coordination for each team's outfit, as it made it feel like a tag match should. This was a much better match than I expected, and I thought all the girls worked hard in this one, especially Katana Chance, who displayed some great athleticism, although some of the moves were mistimed. The finish comes when a cheap shot from the floor by Jane to Carter leads to Dolan getting the pin off a bridging German suplex, though an argument can definitely be made that Carter's shoulder was off the mat for part of that pin so the champs retain as expected. There was a pretty funny segment backstage featuring Pretty Deadly, who are standing in front of a mirror combing their hair and obnoxiously singing about how they're going to retain their belts tonight. The next match was the one I think most were looking forward to heading into this show, and this was the encounter between Cameron Grimes and Carmelo Hayes for the North American title. This was a very fun match, and these two work very well together. There was a neat spot where Grimes chased Carmelo to the middle rope and hit a nice looking reverse Spanish fly. I usually hate that move, but this one was well executed and I've never seen it done like that. The finish comes when Trick Williams gets involved and tries to distract Grimes, but Grimes hits a cave into Williams on the ring apron. But the momentary distraction allows Hayes to elevate Grimes into the buckles and then follows up with a top rope guillotine leg drop to the back of the neck of a bent over Grimes to reclaim the title. This is followed by a very eerie promo by Joe Gacy, who is surrounded by druids backstage, and basically claims that Braun Breaker's inner demons will lead to Gacy winning the title tonight. Up next is the NXT women's title match between defending champion Mandy Rose and her number one challenger, what Vic Joseph calls the whimsical Wendy Chu, and usually when Chu is on screen it signals my bathroom break, but unfortunately I didn't fill up enough on liquids by this point. This was definitely the weakest match of the night thus far, though I did appreciate that it started as a straight-up wrestling match, which was kind of surprising considering Chu's gimmick. I definitely expected more comedic antics here. Midway through the match, Mandy rips up Chu's pillow, and then Chu fires back and unzips the top part of her jumpsuit with a t-shirt underneath to show that she means business. She starts building momentum until Mandy pulls her down from the top rope and follows up with a pump knee for the win. Mackenzie Mitchell is placed between Tiffany Stratton and Roxanne Perez to interview both about their match this coming Tuesday in the finals of the breakout tournament. Tiffany is without question the stronger character, but Roxy has the ring skill and a ton of charisma, so I think this could go either way. They both say their piece. Tiffany basically guarantees victory and makes fun of Roxanne taking a bus for 10 hours to attend wrestling school, while Roxanne fires back that she's trained her whole life for this and Tiffany won't take it away from her. The Creed brothers are up next, challenging Pretty Deadly for the NXT Tag Team titles. The Creeds wore very fluorescent colors for this match, which were kind of blinding and distracted a bit from their in-ring performance. 
I'm not really into either of these teams, and this match didn't click for me, but the closing sequence I thought was really good, and the Creeds had their parents at ringside as well, which was a nice touch. The stipulation here is that if the Creed brothers lost, they'd have been kicked out of Diamond Mine, so I was kind of surprised at the finish. Basically, Elton Prince tries to slide the belt into his partner, Kit Wilson, but he slides it too far right into the hands of Julius Creed, who looks a bit conflicted, but after looking to his father at ringside, he ends up tossing the belt away and throwing Wilson to his brother Brutus, who punishes him with a torture rack slam, and then Julius finishes the sequence with a basement clothesline, so he and his brother capture the titles and remain in Diamond Mine. This leads into your main event of the evening for the NXT Heavyweight title with Braun Breaker turning back the challenge of Joe Gacy. The stipulation here is a pretty dumb one, where if Breaker gets disqualified, he loses the title. So naturally, Gacy does everything he can to try and bait Breaker into using a steel chair. At one point, as the ref is distracted by the druids, Gacy smashes the chair into the mat and then hands it over to Breaker, so when the ref turns, Gacy plays injured, so it looks like Breaker hit him with the chair. The ref goes to ring the bell, but then another ref runs out and stops him, informing the original ref of what happened. Gacy then takes a sick bump through the announce table as Breaker just launches him off the ring apron with a running tackle. Later in the match, Gacy hands Breaker a chair, but Breaker hands it off to the ref, but as the ref is putting it away, Gacy delivers a low blow and gets a near fall off an inside cradle. The finish comes when Breaker once again has the chair, but instead of hitting Gacy, he whacks one of the druids, and this allows Gacy to attempt a handspring move, but he turns right into a massive spear from Breaker, who follows up with a military press power slam combination for the win. So the champ retains as I think he should. I don't quite think Gacy is there yet. He's just such a carbon copy of Bray Wyatt at the moment, and I think his character needs a little more development before he wins the title. So moving along, there was another big show tonight. It was WWE's annual Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, which for the last couple of years has been a June event. Honestly, I'd still prefer these Hell in a Cell matches to develop gradually and have a more organic build, rather than just because it happens to be that time of year. But regardless of my personal opinion about this show in general, let's just get right into it because on paper it actually looks like a decent in-ring show. The action started very hot and heavy with the big triple threat match for the Raw women's title, featuring Bianca Belair defending against Asuka and Becky Lynch, who was wearing an outfit that may rival the one Ty Conti wore last week. This match was very, very good. It was a great choice to start the show and the crowd was hot for this. Asuka delivered a nice looking combination of strikes to Becky midway through the match and then Bianca had a nice spot where she set up Becky for a vertical suplex but before completing the sequence she started doing high knees with Becky still suspended. Asuka then applied a double ankle lock to both opponents but they were both able to roll through and escape and I thought both Bianca and Becky did a great job of selling. The finish comes where Bianca sends Asuka face first into the buckle and Becky tries to deposit Bianca to ringside so she can steal the pin but Asuka kicks out. Becky then hits the manhandle slam on Asuka and Bianca pulls a page from Becky's book by dumping Becky to the floor and stealing the pin on Asuka to retain her title. What a fantastic match. MVP is backstage with Omos trying to pump the big man up before their match when they're interrupted by Cedric Alexander who says he has an idea for tonight which MVP quickly dismisses saying that Cedric has failed at every attempt to please him so tonight they don't need him. They then replay the tremendous diss track video that MVP released and then we go right into the handicap match with MVP and Omos facing Bobby Lashley. 
Not much to say about this, it was about as bad as you'd expect. Omas is pretty terrible, but I still don't think he's as bad or worse than either Giant Gonzalez or the Great Kali. The basic story here is that MVP only got in the match when his team had a significant advantage, but once that advantage was lost, he tagged right back out. In the end, Cedric Alexander comes flying into the ring, and I don't know why that wasn't a DQ, but Omas catches him and dumps him over the top rope. Lashley then clotheslines Omas out and sidesteps MVP, who misses the drive-by kick, allowing Lashley to apply the hurt lock for the quick tap-out. After the match, there was an interesting development where Lashley grabs a replica title from a fan at ringside and signals that he wants his shot. So I really like how different people are positioning themselves for a possible shot at Roman down the line. Up next was the match that neither myself and probably nobody else was looking forward to, and that was the encounter between Kevin Owens and Ezekiel. Say what you will about this terrible angle, and I personally hate it, but I do think Kevin Owens has been excellent in this role, and this match was actually pretty good. Right at the start, Owens starts the trash talk, but Ezekiel catches him off guard with a high knee and then follows up with a top rope elbow drop, and I totally bought into this as the finish, but KO was able to kick out. On the floor, Owens gains the advantage by sending Ezekiel face first into the post, which I believe busted him open hard way. The rest of the match, Owens was obsessed with getting Ezekiel to admit that he's really Elias. But this was kind of funny, as soon as Ezekiel showed more aggression, Owens backed down and acknowledged that he's Ezekiel. Then as soon as he regained the advantage, Owens once again started yelling that he's really Elias. The match went back and forth until Owens scored with a super kick and then followed up with a rolling cannonball in the corner and finally a stunner for the clean win. Next on the card was the six-person mixed tag featuring the Judgment Day team of Edge, Damian Priest, and Rhea Ripley taking on AJ Styles, Finn Balor, and Liv Morgan. This was another decent match, and the crowd was on fire for it. The heels isolated Balor in their corner in the early going, which all built to AJ getting the hot tag. He finally nailed Edge with a phenomenal forearm, but Priest reached in and pulled Styles to the outside and off the cover. The finish was Balor setting up Edge for the coup de grace, but Rhea stepped in between them, causing Finn to drop off the turnbuckles. Liv took down Rhea, but the distraction allowed Edge to catch Balor with a spear for the win. Bobby Lashley was walking around backstage, and he finds Cedric Alexander, asking him what he was thinking about tonight. Cedric said it wasn't for Bobby, but it was just something he needed to do for himself. Lashley said he gets it, but told Cedric not to step into his matches again. Up next was probably the best-built match on the card, and the best all-time build for a match that I couldn't care less about. And that was between Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss. The crowd was hot all night long, and it continued into this match, but they just wouldn't let up with their We Want Tables chant. They asked, but unfortunately did not receive. This match was okay for what it was, nothing spectacular, but nothing terrible. The finish was Corbin bringing steel steps into the ring and positioning them in the corner, but it was Madcap who ended up delivering a fallaway slam to Corbin into the steps. He then placed a chair across Corbin's neck and dropped the steps onto the leg of the chair, which was essentially what Corbin did to him a few weeks ago. And that earned Madcap the pin and Corbin was stretchered out. The US title match was second from the top as Mustafa Ali challenged Austin Theory. Theory was announced as the youngest US champion in history. I'd have to check the record books to verify that, but I think at 22 years old we could probably just take their word for it. The announcers also emphasized that Chicago is Ali's hometown, as evident by the massive crowd reaction that this guy received. It was probably the biggest pop of the night. So being a hometowner can't be a good thing, right? 
Well, in this case, it really wasn't. This was a fine match though. Ali hit a tilt-a-whirl DDT off the middle rope and then attempted to follow up with a 450 splash, which the crowd totally bought into, but he missed the mark and Theory capitalized with a chop block and then what he calls the A-Town Down, which is basically a TKO into a face buster to keep his title. This leads into the main event. It was the only Hell in a Cell match of the evening and it almost didn't happen as it had been reported by numerous sites earlier in the day that Cody Rhodes suffered a pectoral injury during training, but to his credit, he pushed through and was able to compete in this match. Seth Rollins came out dressed in yellow polka dots a la Cody's father Dusty Rhodes. I thought this was great. What was not so great though was when Cody took off his ring jacket and I swear I'm not even exaggerating, almost the entire right side of his body was purple. This looked gross, and I hope he made the right decision to participate in this match. The match itself was crazy as expected. Seth began targeting the injury in the early stages of the match, but Cody gained the advantage when Seth missed a frog splash in the ring and crashed through a table. Seth came back with a powerbomb to Cody through another table in the corner. Midway through the match, Cody pulled out a bull rope and challenged Seth to tie his wrist to it, so we got a gimmick within a gimmick match. There were several near falls in the next few minutes. Seth pulled out a sledgehammer, but Cody grabbed hold of it and chased Seth around ringside, but once they got back into the ring, Seth met him with a stomp for two. Seth then tried for a pedigree, but Cody countered with one of his own for another near fall. And then the finish came when Seth tried Cody's own move, the crossroads, but Cody countered it and hit it himself, and then picked Seth right back up to drill him with two more. He then picked up the sledgehammer and laced Seth right between the eyes for the final three count. This was a good match, but I would say if Cody is taking time off to recover, then the wrong guy went over. But all in all, it was a pretty decent show that exceeded expectations, and the crowd helped a lot. So just a reminder, I will be off next week, but the show returns in two weeks, and I look forward to that. In the meantime, I'll leave you with an A, B, C, yeah.